Hey folks, this is Dr. C, and uh, thanks for coming back to our office hours again. Um, just like last week, uh, at least I hope last week, I assume we're releasing them in sequential order. That's usually what we do. Uh, I'll let that up to Barry. Anyway, that's too long to get to, to get to say that Barnaby is back with us again. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for um, having me back. Barnaby, in case folks are, are doing things out of sorts and didn't hear you on the first one, um, uh, let the folks know what it is that you're about and what you do. Hi, um, I am Barnaby. Uh, some people might know me from TikTok as Barnaby on the internet. Um, and I do content around collective storytelling, um, morals and ethics in, in, in TTRPG spaces, and also, much like everybody else there, I'm just there to shit post. So um, if, you, if any of those things meet your interests, I am, I am the person you should be following. Yeah. Clearly, <laughs> um, and I, I, whole, I wholeheartedly uh, endorse following you. It certainly enriched my life. Um, so, let's uh, let's. The episode for today is something you came up with, and that is discussing the media that made us feel represented, particularly as young people. Yeah. Right? So let's start with who we were as young people, and and Barnaby, why don't you uh, begin with that? Oh man, um, so I'm from uh, I'm from the Highlands of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, which is uh, traditionally, oh like, it's, it's a lot of German buildings with that a lot of black people live in. Mm -hmm. um, so I have grown up uh, as a college basketball fan against my will. Um, mm -hmm. So I played a lot of basketball. I, I played a lot of uh, video games at other people's houses because my mother would not support <laughs> my ability to engage in those things. And read a lot of comics and young and YA novels, particularly things like Animorphs. I think is probably the most formative piece of uh, media that made me the leftist I am today. <laughs> that that is a particularly traumatizing piece of media. Good day. As I I read those books voraciously, and in retrospect, maybe not for kids. <laughs> maybe not, but you know what? It's not J.K. Rowling, and that's not bad. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Animorphs, for all its merits, uh, and other things like that, not a lot of diversity, right? When there it comes to compared to other stuff, tons. I mean, Marco and Cassie. Marco okay. is a, a was a Latino kid who permanently turned into a hawk. Sorry, spoilers for no, no, that was Toby. Uh, Thirty Tobias. is Toby. Toby, Tobias. I'm sorry. Tobias. So yeah. wasn't Tobias indigenous, and then Marco was Lat Latinx, a Latin. Uh, uh, Marco was Latino. I think he might have been Puerto Rican or Cuban, but he mm. was Latino. And it's um, been a while since I read it. And then Cassie was black, and that for me, like, okay, there, there's like this unsaid yeah. rule for black people that the, when you watch things, the black person you see is by default, the person you're always rooting for. And so I have That's lived fair. my life continuously until recently by that rule of if there's a black person in a sport or a movie or a mm -hmm. book, I am always inherently rooting for them. In fairness, it's usually because if they are in a movie, it's not going to go well for them. Um, <laughs> admittedly. Admittedly. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Um, and, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I got, <clears throat> let's see. I grew up with the usual Power Rangers kind of stuff. Um, I was the first, I was in the first generation of Mexican Americans born in my small town because there were no Mexicans prior to them being literally trucked in from the border to work in a chicken processing plant um, and all the romance that goes along with that. So, uh, but then I moved to North Virginia when I was a kid, when I was probably eight, nine years old. And um, I was, you know, went from a, uh, <clears throat> from a community of like Mexican immigrants and, 
other white Southerners to just like bougie white Southerners in, in North Virginia was a, a wild transition for me. So I sought, I started to seek refuge in like pop media in a way that I had not before. Uh, and I've talked about this before, but like my grandfather, I credit with starting my love of comics because um, at like the age of 10, he handed me a stack of comic books that no 10 year old should have had access to. Um, it was things like Alien versus Predator, uh, Reign of the Superman, which is right after Superman dies. And you have all these impostures, uh, uh, rock uh dinosaur hunter which you know a, a formative <laughs> thing for my youth um and all these other things and uh i remember x-men evolution being like a big deal for me uh being sort of where i started to see representation in the form of like spike right who was african-american character and uh nightcrawler who is my absolute favorite who was um you know, a person who looked, did not look, appear to be white, but was trying to fit into white society. And, and man, if that wasn't me for a long time. Um, so, yeah. So what was, when you think about, you know, media that formed a formative role in your life, what is something that has sort of stuck with you? Um, like I said, Animorphs, I think is the first thing that like one, cause like in the book, Cassie, deals a lot of really adult things and also is just like for lack of a better word like this non-traditional she's a horse girl she's be mm -hmm. we all know one but she's a horse girl and like she goes through this entire war and through that is so adamant about holding on to her morals and values despite like the repercussions besides those and for me like there's there was something very endearing about that of like through going through a whole war that destroyed everybody else's morals that everybody compromised you know those things that cassie wasn't the, the only one to not do that very informative for me but also static shock anything Dwayne mcduffie touched yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the 90s yeah. was like ah yes perfect perfect uh, representation um but yeah so it was a, a lot of static shock a lot of um sp surprisingly spawn my dad would buy hbo for a week he'd get that free trial every time he'd have to re-up a satellite and we would just binge watch spawn the animated series i had no business watching spawn yeah. Um, but my dad told me he was black and I was like, that's good enough because that's all it took back then. Right. They didn't have right. to actually have any character growth. It's just like, oh, they're black <laughs> sold. Um, but I think, I think Cassie, Cassie from Animorphs is probably like his continued to like define me as a person is like my first time seeing like a black person mm -hmm. in a piece of media that wasn't like a gangster or wasn't engaged in hyper violence or like it was engaged in hyper violence but was adamantly against it and like was this fully fleshed out character that did things that i did that wasn't just like a caricature right i didn't have the words for it then as a kid but like as an as an adult i have the language for it and the, she was a whole character yeah well and you know what's interesting about that is um when you think about the the violence, there was a very violent character in the Animorphs, and that was Rachel, the mm. middle class white American girl. And in retrospect, I kind of wonder if they were going for something there, <laughs> like that was supposed to be some sort of comment on things, especially in the uh, recent era of uh, video recording white women uh, trying to enact violence or have it leveraged uh, ah, and that kind of thing. I too understand that reference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, was Cassie in the TV show? I don't know, because I was so adamant about not watching the TV show. Really? Uh, yes. I, as a child, I was already privy to anything that is turned in from another source of media, usually is a bad time. Mm. Uh, I was tricked as a child into believing that Super Mario Brothers was going to be worth seeing. 
and have carried that trauma through the rest of my life. <laughs> That's fair. Listen, if, if if Hollywood's in the business of rebooting things and they want to reboot that, all I ask is that John Leguizamo still be involved in some capacity. They are. Did you not know that? Chris Pratt's going to play Mario. And, uh, uh, you know, I remember hearing that and then I blacked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're remaking um, it. So. It's going to be like Minions, I think. They're, they're the same. going to but it's gonna be animated though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's gonna be like a three D animated. Okay, all right. So we're not we're not quite to the live action <laughs> stage yet, but I'm sure that's in the works somewhere. I mean, Sonic seems to have done well, right? Yeah. Um, oh, and 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 Street Fighter. Street Fighter is the only good video game movie to me because, like, as a kid, my dad was a big movie buff, and he explained to me all the stuff that was going on with Raul Julia. Right. Yeah. Under underrated human being. Um, that he like was going through so much pain when that movie came out. And, but just yeah. as a kid, I was like, I love street fighter and it was very campy and goofy. And like, when you're like 12, it was during that era where they were making a bunch of like Kung Fu movies, but like mm-hmm. white kids were three learning ninjas. So, like three yeah. ninjas, surf, surf ninjas, ninjas is classic. Surf yes. ninjas, yes. Uh, <laughs> peak Schneider, peak Rob Schneider, <laughs> peak nineties. Mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat was very popular at the time. Right. Cause it spawned at least one sequel and, and street fighter did. It, it was cult hit enough to sponsor, to, to do a unofficial sequel, right? Mm-hmm. The Legend of Chun-Li, uh, mm-hmm. that, that glorious masterpiece of Asian representation. <laughs> um, good day. But, but this is the thing is like, as kids, we did have to, cause you and I are, are, are the three of us are roughly the same age. Yeah, um, 34. 30-ish. Yeah. 30, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm 34 in a couple weeks. Um, so you, you did have to kind of go out of your way sometimes to find not even good representation just just something to anybody right? i mean we all yeah. main balrog for no reason he's a terrible yeah. fighter hate him uh but we still main him or was, uh, was it not in bison it is balrog right the the black boxer in street uh, fighter you mean dalsim dalsim no dalsim's the indian dude whose arm stretched super far yeah i thought he he was north african wasn't he I thought he was uh, supposed to be Indian. Listen, these terrible res- representations oh, yeah, in, no, st- in, in fighting games. We could talk for days yeah. about them. No, no, <laughs> Balrock. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that was the boxer. That was the boxer. Dalsim was like an, an East Asian, North African, some combination of those things. And even as, a, you know, as a kid like this, this seems wrong. But, but there's not many other options. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And I know that when I was a kid, um, like the X-Men was it for me. So like I mentioned Nightcrawler earlier, right. And trying to be that, trying to believe in a positive, you know, version of humanity and wanting to blend in, but looking very stigmatizing, but also like Gambit. Gambit was the Southern man that I wanted to be as a kid, especially because he could talk to girls. Uh, and as an adult, I realized now Gambit was working through a lot of stuff and had some things <laughs> I have that about. I don't know if you've seen the TikTok I made a while ago where they're like, which, who's your problematic white man? And mine's a Scott Summers. I will die on a hill for Scott Summers every day. And anybody who's listening to it, you can find me on TikTok and we can Barnaby. fight about it there. Barnaby, we were, we were almost friends. We were almost friends. <laughs> listen, I, listen, I have, as somebody who does social justice work and bought into a dream only for it to not be at all what I was promised, I sympathize heavily with Scott Summers and his anger. Listen, oh. no, no, that, I, I will tell you, uh, my, my, per, my perspective on Scott has evolved over time. I still think he's terrible. I just realized he was a tool in all senses of the word, but professor X was the mechanic. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so no, I, I, I get that. Uh, and like I said, we, we all like our, and actually that, that gets us to uh, another talking point. And that is that 
what do we do with these pieces of media that meant something to us as young people, um, or may even still mean something to us that we understand in retrospect, not, not great. Um, you know, sort of problematic or perpetuating unfortunate ideas about our own groups or other groups for that matter. I, I, th- I think like acknowledging that they're a problem is like the first, the first step, right? It's the, it's, it's what, it's what differentiates like adults from like children in my mind sure. is like, I, yeah, he's a problem. Like I acknowledge Scott Summers, a terrible human being. 100%. Everything he's done to Jean Grey, everything, every, every unfortunate woman in the Marvel Universe who has been with that man, he is consistently a problem. He has lots of flawed things. And like, I think acknowledging it is like as part of like growing up, it's like, oh, at the time, this character meant a lot, a lot to me. And like, and there's several mm-hmm. characters that are like that. I mean, Spawn, you know, mm-hmm. I really liked the Police Academy movies as a kid, you know, yeah. a big fan of Motormouth Jones as a child. Um, Older now, fuck cops. Like, it's, 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 it's character growth. And I, I think sure. that's, I, I, I don't think it diminishes at the time, right, what they meant. I think a lot of people, as they get older, will be like, oh, well, I always knew they were awful. Like, no, it's okay that, like, at the time, that's what you had. That's what representation looked like. That was what helped get you through XYZ times, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think especially like within the black community, that's why so many people ride hard for Goku, right? Like it's it's a meme at this point mm-hmm. <laughs> about how people ride hard for Goku is because like for a lot of us, Goku was what we wanted to aspire to, right? Like he is for a lot of people, their first interactions with anime was seeing somebody who wasn't white, you know, do all kinds do all kinds of things. And yes, there's problematic things within Dragon Ball Z, Mr. Popo, and there's a whole the whole oh, conversation. Yeah, there's a whole conversation <laughs> around that. But it doesn't diminish like what it meant for black culture. It doesn't diminish what it meant for like black people. Right? You can be like, yeah, this piece of media is problematic and I can acknowledge that and when people bring it up, I can say like, yeah, you're right. It does have its problems, but that doesn't diminish what it meant to me at the time in my life when I needed it. Um, that's a that's a really good point actually uh, segues into something that barry you've talked to me about and that is um you've been spitballing an idea for a project because barry's a documentarian on uh black folk young black folk who like anime even though they're not very well represented in that media right yeah yeah mm-hmm. i've been conscripted i guess or recruited or well a, a co-collaborator of mine uh ebony johnson she's heading up this project um about uh black anime fandom and um part of part of our pre-production research is all hinged around this question of like where where does this fandom see itself obviously understanding that there there's multiple perspectives in this but uh you know where 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 do people see themselves in this genre that um, historically and predominantly does not represent them on screen very often, if at all. But I, I guess for for you, I mean, what where do you find um, it, uh, along the theme of of what we're talking about today? I, I mean, Barnaby, where do, where do you find yourself in media where sometimes maybe you don't find or see yourself in the characters directly? I I think for me, it's lived experience. Like there, there's some things that like maybe not aren't exactly like the black experience and like i have the benefit of i am the child of a, of an immigrant my mother is from is punjabi she's from mm. northern india uh, my father is uh ex-military 
Um, and, and so I have a unique worldview that like sometimes it isn't reflected in the ways that I need to be reflected. And so like there is some solidarity, I, I think, and particularly the animes that I consume are a lot of like very, they're not like shonen or shoujo, which are shonen are ones geared towards like mm-hmm. female gaze and shoujo are like right. female gaze, but are mostly like slice of life stuff. It's usually people who have like a job or a passion and like they make an entire anime highlighting it. That's stuff like Yuri on Ice, which highlights ice skating, you and Misha Pedal, which highlights like um, bike riding. There's one called uh, um, Protect it. As a Zukin, I'm sure I'm butchering that name, but it's about the process of animation, mm. and it's made by somebody who clearly loves and enjoys the entire process of making animation. And I just love interacting with anime or pieces of media in general that like have that cross section of I am a very passionate person and watching people be passionate about stuff. There's several food documentaries that like illustrate that that I really resonate with and they have nothing to do with my lived experience or have to do with like my skin color or anything but my lived experience is coming from people who are very passionate about the things that they do and put you know for lack of a better put our whole pussy into everything that we <laughs> we make and do and there's something very satisfying yeah. and like some solidarity and like seeing somebody make something and talk about passionately the thing that they're doing yeah barnaby i think you hit on something really important there and that is that um when we talk about representation we often think about it in terms of phenotypical aesthetic right uh, mm-hmm. the the way that we look the way that we maybe identify whether that's in terms of gender or maybe our lived experiences of economic background or racial identities and that kind of thing and certainly those are relevant um points of intersection with uh with media and looking for representation but it's also a matter of cultural values it's also a matter of interests and passions and and hobbies and things that make us feel included and make mm-hmm. us feel like we are visibly represented or seen um f- one that comes to mind as you were talking about this was so i I grew up on the usual, um, I guess, what you'd call like the the weeb starter pack of like the, um, the tsunami starter. Uh, starter yeah, yeah, right. basically, right? It was it was uh, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, um, Gundam Wing. Um, what was the? It wasn't Gundam Wing, but it was something else in that same sort of vein of like uh, giant animal robots. Oh, Zoids. Zoids. Zo- yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Or Voltron, or, or any of that stuff. Um, or the other ones that come to mind are like uh, I didn't get into Inuyasha, although I had a lot of friends who were. I've uh, woken like, up to Inuyasha, the end of Inuyasha, for most yeah. of my college career. Uh, Yu Yu Hakusho was a big one for me, um, and you know stuff like that. But like. Um, like Full Metal Alchemist was one that really resonated with me. Brotherhood or Brotherhood. the... Mm. I've only seen Brotherhood. I, uh, a I, man I, of taste. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had some friends who were like, well, there's two versions and you should only watch this one. So that's the only one I've seen. Uh, and I enjoy it. But what gets to me about that is for anyone who's not familiar, the basic premise of being, you know, a, a pseudo magical fantasy world where there's a, a, a science to the kind of magic they use, but it centers around two brothers, Right who are deeply traumatized and have only each other. Um, Their mother is dead and they tried to resurrect her. It didn't work. Uh, There is what they refer to as the law of equivalent exchange, where you have to sacrifice something to get something back. In the process, it ends up costing the younger brother his body so that his uh, soul then becomes attached to a piece of armor so that he's basically like a automaton of a sort. But the basic idea of the interdependence that the um, brothers have on each other um, of not just a family relationship, but one of survival um, was very much resonant with me. The other thing was um, I'm always a sucker for anything that has dad issues in it. Uh, My, uh, 
mom and my birth father separated when I was too young to remember. So like any of that kind of stuff, I always, you know, uh, I appreciate as uh, being emotionally resonant. But the other thing is this idea of having to give up something to get something right. Because I feel like that's, that is, that's a common theme in a lot of our science fiction and our fantasy, but the idea of no, there is a one-to-one. And as a dad, I absolutely appreciate that as someone who has to balance, I can keep working so I can, I can try to catch up on, on what I'm already behind on, or I can spend time reading with my kid. And the answer is all always, unless there is a career threatening situation, read with my kid. Um, and that idea of everything has a cost to it at the time when I was young was resonant and certainly now even more as an adult. Um, and it's almost enough for me to get past that horrifying episode with the dog Kamira. Um, <clears throat> God almighty <sighs> that show. <laughs> um, in this conversation we've been having, we've been talking about a lot of like animated stuff. We've been talking about like mm-hmm. um, cartoons. We've talked about anime, literature. Is there any like live action things or any like live action movies that maybe really resonated with you? Or is there an actor or an actress or somebody who is of our persuasion that really resonated with you or like made you feel seen anytime they did stuff? Diego Luna in Rogue One. Diego Luna and Rogue One. And it's because it was a version of Latinidad that I don't often encounter. Um, I've talked about this with a friend of mine on the podcast before, Mr. Anthony Ramirez. We're, um, our experiences with Latinidad as Mexican Americans is very different from the one that's often packaged and sold to us by mass media, particularly Hollywood, right? We don't have a point of reference necessarily for like the Cholo life or for, you know, the inner city, you know, crime or any of that kind of stuff. Um, Certainly in my experience, it's a lot of it's been um, cowboys. My dad's a cowboy. My uncles are all cowboys uh, in, in the most legitimate sense of the word. And seeing Diego Luna play what was effectively a space cowboy uh, was really resonant with me, especially because he used his actual Mexican accent um, for that. Um, that. That was pretty meaningful. Um, also, like I said, dad stuff like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, when, when Yondu says to, to Chris Pratt's character, you know, he might've been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. Geez, I could have, you could have picked me up off the floor. Like <laughs> I, I was, a, I was a sobbing mess. But yeah. For me, it's Laverne Cox in, uh, Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Um, when that came out, I was at the beginning of my whole gender exploration. And so for me, it was a double whammy of representation of like, there's there's the episode where like we because all the prisoners get like the background episode right we get to see like how they got in jail um and they do one for laverne's uh, character and a lot of the things like i seen throughout that and like seen like really resonated with me and it's my first time seeing laverne and also it's my first time seeing like a black trans person like on mm-hmm. on the screen right did I, I come from the rural part of kentucky um in the bible belt I have no knowledge or anything of any of these things. Definitely like a feeling of resonance of like, there's this thing that I don't understand that quote unquote is wrong with me. Or like I, there's something different about me, but I don't have the language for it. And then like that moment having the language for like, that's me. That's what I look like. That's what, what I'm, what I'm seeing. I have language and purpose and I've followed everything she's been in. She does fantastic work every time mm-hmm. i see her i feel really represented i know a lot of people have had like problems with her in the past and a lot of trans people were really 
not on board with her playing Frankenfurter in the Rocky Horror like remake because like that role in that show has a long history of transphobia and lots of other other things. But for me, like she killed it. She was beautiful. She was amazing and also gave me another room of like being comfortable with my voice. She sings that entire thing in bass and it mm. is beautiful and amazing and she kills it and she's having fun with it and having a lot of energy. And so for like me as like particularly a black trans person, right, there's this comfort in seeing like that person looks like me and has similar experiences and sounds like me and are completely valid in the representation and you know and i think for me like especially when it comes around like black queer media right Mm -hmm. like that's super underrepresented i don't get to see a lot of those um yeah i can't think of a contemporary of hers um yeah yeah uh, maybe like from pose the entire cast of pose Mm-hmm. um as as another going but that's even built around trauma laverne's done lots of stuff that isn't like because it's that part of like getting like especially for like marginalized folks so much of our representation is built around our trauma right the 90s is filled with i don't know how many slave films and how yeah. many you know prison breaks or you know coming from the wrong side of the tracks and that all those stories are prevalent but that's not the entirety of the of, of a minority experience right that's not that's not everything you are we laugh we cry we're wizards we're you know space cowboys we're all these uh, we can be all these other things that aren't inherently like that our identity isn't tied to our trauma and i think that for me like in things like cassie and and even in stuff that live Burns done it isn't like that one episode that episode is based around trauma but like for me it's an informative moment of seeing like i'm seeing myself for the first time even though it's through that trauma mm-hmm. but like it ended to kind of like tie in all these conversations we've been having around like we are more things than just the trauma and so much of marginalized people is built around like their trauma yeah and that's been something to that's been difficult to negotiate particularly on social media because um in the the uh, the economy of likes and engagement um black and brown trauma is very cashable it's very um resonant and it plays well but it's also exhausting it is in some cases re-traumatizing um so yeah it's it's kind of hard to navigate that kind of stuff but you're right i mean there is so much more to it than that especially in our storytelling and going back to the example of like um rocky horror picture show which is a great i haven't seen the new one i've seen the original and i, I saw the original while i was in grad school so i was late coming to it um, i was I late as well i didn't see it till like 2000 and like 12 okay yeah 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 <laughs> so it was I, you know, I was aware of it culturally, but one of the things when I was watching and I was like, well, wait a minute, hold on. Uh, uh, Frankenfurter is Frankenfurter sexually assaulting people. Um, in a couple very particular instances. And I remember thinking about that and chewing on it. And that is a example. I think of one of those things where we have to recognize that there is, there's, you know, pro-social and problematic in a lot of our media. And it doesn't necessarily like that. There is something unfortunate doesn't mean that it discounts the quality of the whole thing, because you got to figure in the tradition of a lot of colleges that do reenactments of it, right? Where you have guys dress up in drag and they, you know, perform along with the lines as it's shown on, uh, uh, as it's shown on a projector. I had a friend in college who did it. And then a couple of years ago, uh, transitioned. Uh, and so she is now, uh, she has a new identity. She has a new, um, uh, life entirely. Uh, and she's in a much better place than she was, uh, when she was in her previous life, uh, performing drag and things like that. And in retrospect, that was probably a part of her journey. Um, 
So, and I can't discount the the validity of that just because there are some things in it that are unsavory. We have to grapple with those things, certainly. Yeah. Um, but it is not a zero sum game, right? So, yeah, mm-hmm. as we conclude, um, is there anything that we need to touch on that we haven't already, Barnaby? Uh, I mean, we could talk for days. I really enjoy talking to you. I'm sad that we've never done a live together and just rambled for, with each other for four or five hours. I'm like, I trap everybody else on the internet. Um, but I don't <laughs> have anything else to, to add to this. Just, uh, uh, just a nice reminder, right? Like of how, like how far we've come in terms of like diversity or representation in media, and um, just a nice reminder of like me, me tell, like telling myself, like the, your your identity is not based on your trauma, right? It's a part of yeah. it, but like it's not all that makes up like black and brown people. Like it, it definitely has formed pieces of it, but it's not the whole thing that it's important to highlight. As much as we highlight like slavery and stuff, we should highlight black wizards and we should highlight that uh, Latina, uh, Latina, uh, you know, representation, things like Encanto and stuff like that, I think are instrumental yeah. in like showing all these different things and introducing people to new ways to daydream, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Expanding our social imagination because, and this is not a perspective original to me, but it's hard to be what you haven't seen, right? Yeah. So then, uh, Barnaby, if people want to f- uh, find you, follow you, support you, any of those kind of things, where can they do that? You can find me on TikTok at Barnaby on the Internet. Um, if you want to know other places to talk to me or do things with me, you can click on my link in my bio. Um, I teach a, a bunch of classes around like social justice issues. You can join my Discord. And I'm always subjecting people to all kinds of fun things in there. Um, but yeah, I'm around on the Internet. Come, come hang out with me, sit on my porch and chat a while. Cool, cool, cool. And of course, uh, folks probably know by now, but they can find me at Dr. Dot underscore C on TikTok, uh, GA Cruz PhD on Twitter and Instagram. And they can email us uh, comments, thoughts, and you know questions or concerns, I suppose, uh, at GA Cruz PhD uh, at gmail.com. So yeah. All right, folks, thanks for uh, dropping by the office hours. We'll uh, catch you next week. Bye.